This show is sponsored by NatureBox. NatureBox ships great tasting and healthy snacks right to your door. Forget the vending machine and start snacking smarter with healthy and delicious treats like dark cocoa almonds. Support this podcast by ordering a free NatureBox sample box at naturebox.com slash joey. That's right. Free NatureBox snacks are found at naturebox.com slash joey. Show is also brought to you by MeUndies.com. Go to MeUndies.com and check out the pics of the different styles of men's and women's underwear. They have shorts, t-shirts, socks, all of their great products. When you go to MeUndies.com slash Joey, you're going to get 20% off of your first order. And they're also offering free shipping in the United States and Canada. And go to Onnit.com. When you go to Onnit.com, use code word CHURCH to get 10% off all of the great optimization products. Like Alpha Brain, New Mood, Shroom Tech Immune, Shroom Tech Sport. It's code word CHURCH to get 10% off. Oh, shit. 300 motherfucking episodes. July 15th, 2015. The day the devil got buried at sea. Little Marvin Gaye. Out of respect, got a little $7 million fucking check yesterday. Really? That's what they settled on. I guess it was yesterday. I just read it. Trying to steal his shit. Make him believe you don't know what fucking happened. It's Marvin Gaye, motherfucker. You want to steal something? Steal something from Kanye West or one of these new breed motherfuckers. But you got to have a big pair of balls to steal from this man. The church, motherfuckers. Lee Syatt. My man Ali Sadiq from Houston. Can you fucking believe it? 300 episodes, Lee Syatt? I really can't. It's crazy. That's it's crazy. A- and 100 with Felicia, so 400, really, under my fucking resume of podcasts. Which Plus however happy. many ever you've done. This is a lot of fun. Ali, what's happening, baby? Man, I'm sitting here still grooving to this Marvin. You know that's my favorite artist oh in the entire God. world. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like the trouble, man. You know, with the the E Hollywood, not the E Hollywood, the behind the music was on the remastered about uh, maybe four weeks ago. I cried, man. I fucking really cried. Like he was, there was something about him, man. When he wore that little beanie, there's a a YouTube tape of him. He's got to be fucked up, and he's singing this. But the band is playing, and he's on a couch, laying sideways. Have you seen that? Oh my (laughs) fucking god. And he's singing like this is like me. I'm just singing from the couch. Man, this is he's he's done one of the coldest things. Hey, I'm gonna make an album for you, but then I'm gonna make another album for my girl, and then oh. you can get the royalty off that one. Off the, and I'm like, how dope is that that you can make? I'm gonna make a jam and a, I'm gonna make a better album for my chick than for my wife who's trying to skim me for money. You know? <laughs> yeah, take fucking take crazy. that album. That is fucking Marvin Gaye is like. I think that's one of the people, when the people ask me what my style is as a comic, I still add Marvin Gaye in there. I'm like, yo, I'm like part this person, part this person. Then there it is. Part Marvin Gaye. How beautiful. Look at this shit. Yeah, man. Get it? That's all right. <laughs> God damn. Won't you, babe? Did you hear it? Hey. He's just laying in like a tracksuit on the couch. Yeah, like. <laughs> Man, that's. Woo. In some basement. 
somewhere. It it's like a, a basement. Rec- <laughs> it looks like a pool, like a rec center. That's not a studio. But it's, it's Marvin Gaye. Okay, we're going to the top right now. Going to the top. Top, top. Dude, some dude with a Rick, with the Rick James braid. That's his nephew. That's little Rick. Bam, up top. Very top. Oh, man. Very top. This is the type of shit that inspires me. I see this. Like a guy like him in a fucking basement with a tracksuit on. It may, man, it's just the, the mystique of this guy. Just, hey, I'm practicing. I do it anywhere with, and now he's just sitting up like, hey, man, I'm, this is not even the actual performance. This is what, this is practice. They're just warming up. They're just getting ready, warming up. They just getting their fucking heartbeat going and getting their timing, and now they're you know they're about to set it off. That's how you write music. You yeah. just set it off like that. I don't know. I, I watched the Hollywood, the whatever the fucking behind the music, and like he hid for two years. Didn't he go like Luxembourg? Yeah. He went to somewhere fucking that nobody thinks of going. Did blow? Took a big bag of coke with him and a hat. This hat that everybody's wearing now, thinking they're bad. <laughs> took a hat. He took a hat with him. Some coke and a hat. <laughs> coke and a hat, and he went over there. And I mean, I don't know. It's just it's always fucked with me too. Like when I came from Cuba, that was the first music I really was turned on to, and he was one of the biggest names, you know, late '60s. I mean, I still remember that song with the chick. Yeah, that was big. My mom uh, uh, was partners on a bar, and they catered to the black people from Harlem on the 27th Street. Yeah. And it was him and that chick. Fucking can't remember the name. So Tammy Terrell. Tammy Terrell, one of them. My mom had a lot of those songs in the jukebox. And his voice was just, uh, you know, it's a shame. And when I heard that song that they robbed, I knew that that was a Marvin Gaye song. But I'm like. The audacity of Pharrell. Oh, my even God. say, like, he. What what are you talking about? You thought it up or you. Whatever he, whatever his excuse was, was ridiculous. And then for. Um, what's his name? The singer, dumb fuck, and to sing dumb it, fuck. And like, oh, I don't know that this Marvin's gay. Your father knew it was Marvin Gay. You should have asked your father who wrote all these theme songs. <laughs> who is this? It's Marvin Gay. What, what are you? What are you talking about, Robin? Sounds Thicke? a little Marvin Gayish there. <laughs> I, mean, I fucking as soon as I heard, I'm what I was confused was because everybody samples today. Yeah. So I thought they were sampling. You still pay rights to it. And I'm cool with that. Hey, you want to sample music to make yours better? You know, uh, what's the the Velvet Rope? Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. On one of those songs on that album, she samples War. Uh, you know, uh, Cisco Kid. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm in. Everybody sampled James Brown. I don't Everybody. mind. Everybody's sampled James Brown. As long as you include it in that beat, I hear that bass, I'm cool with it. But when I heard that, and then I heard there was a lawsuit. Listen, man, what's no. that dude that last week stuck up with a Confederate flag? Uh, Kid Rock. Oh, okay, yeah, you take Kid oh, Rock. Okay. If I take Kid Rock and sit him down right now, I could quiz. I could quiz Kid Rock on any style of music. Prince, he will thump your ass. Didn't Prince do a tour where he could you could yell out music two fifty a yeah. ticket and he would play it. That means when you have that ability, you've listened to everything at least one time. Everything. And you're musically inclined, so you'll pick it up. You know what? Wait a second. It's like Mike Tyson. People think Mike Tyson's a fucking Momo. You get Mike Tyson aside and go, Mike Tyson, who's the best boxer in Cuba? And he, uh, in 1953, he will start dropping shit on you 
that you'll sit there and go, how does this fucking guy know this? Because this is what they've committed themselves to. They want, once you become a true motherfucker like that in that realm, you know, Pharrell, Pharrell, Come on, I had more faith. I thought that they he took him off the voice as soon as he did that. Yeah. Yeah, come here. Come <laughs> here, sir. You in the hat. I, yeah, yeah, you in the fucking hat that you stole from Marvin Gaye, from his fucking, you even took the idea from Marvin Gaye wearing a cool hat. Because if you really look at it, Marvin Gaye wore the Charles Bronson cap in the 60s and looked cooler than a fucking, without the gold tee and the gold earrings, just a fucking Bronson hat. There's even a picture of him twisting that motherfucker in a white neighborhood. Are you fucking kidding me? That's how, I mean, that style they have now, that's his. He was wearing the hat with the leather jacket and the peacoat. Yeah. And the fucking peacoat in the fucking 60s. Yeah. That's how cool Marvin Gaye was. You remember the album cover with him with the big silver boots? He had an album cover with some huge silver boots. He's sitting down and he has on a, a little red beanie. And I'm like, yo, man, everything about Marvin Gaye was cool. Because it was him. It was like he was just doing what he felt. It's like, man, how the audacity, the, the mitigated gall of Pharrell to say that it came to him. That's what drew you in to the song when you even heard it. You're like, oh, this is a Marvin Gaye. They're doing, okay, Robin Thicke, I feel you. Try to do a little Marvin Gaye rendition. Then he was like, no, it's me. There we, there we go. Robin Thicke, I was so high on drugs, I didn't know what I was singing. Bitch, look at that. Yeah. And that's before Bootsy Collins. That's yeah. That's before Bootsy Collins. Look at those fucking things. Red beanie on, blue jean jacket. Now what year is this? Let me look it up. Look it up. Because if you know anything about black people, they looked at that picture and said, Oh, he's losing it. No. Nah. Marvin Gaye's losing it to those silver boots. Only Earth Wind and Fire was busting those shit out in the late early seventies. And then um Parliament, if you had Parliament Funkadelic, that's you had, right. You had my man George Clinton, which is um, <laughs> they uh, George Clinton, man. That's the the story. I haven't seen it. twenty years ago. I used to see him. I saw him like three times in one year in Boulder in the Denver area when mm-hmm. I was an open mic there. Seventy four. Wow. Yeah, seventy four. Yeah, Nobody was wearing those type of boots. That was way before Kiss. Yeah. Right. Kiss wasn't wearing alive till seventy five or something like that. So, or seventy six. I don't know my fucking dates. Kiss. I just was, Kiss I just, was a good group. Kiss was good. When they first came out, the reason why I listened to Kiss was too sentimental. My best friend growing up died, and he was a big Kiss dude. And after he died, Kiss died with me. He was like, you know what? I don't want to hear Kiss no more. We put that album in his casket and moved that motherfucker on for the next life. He's up there right now jumping up and down listening to that Kiss stuff. I'll eat. Let me tell you something, man. I watched the... uh, As soon as you did it, as soon as Ari told me, I I watched it. Uh, Lisa Deke, uh, the fucking prison ride thing. And it was funny because I was laughing, but I was laughing at different things than people were laughing about. You really touched on little things that brought me back to being inside. Let me ask you something. In a real world, it wasn't that bad being inside. You had a fun time. Man, guys that, like you and me. That's the thing that I ah, never get a chance to say that I had a good time. <laughs> it's like I grew up there. I learned. The, I was nineteen. Well, you were nineteen when you went in. Yeah, nineteen. Twenty-five when you came. Twenty-five when I came. I out. was twenty-five when I went in. Twenty-six when I went in, and twenty-seven and a half, twenty-eight. I did two years all together with everything because they reconsidered my sentence. Mm-hmm. 
right? Because there, there was like the first time I got all these letters and it was a very, uh, I got like 800 letters sent from New Jersey. You know, New Jersey's a crooked state. So, but I look at my time now, man, and I got to tell you something, even in diagnostic, where I always tell people, <laughs> I always, I told Bert Crash, I go, listen, if you think black people talk in movie theaters, don't go to diagnostic. Don't go to diagnostic. Because it's all night long. It's all the brothers are yelling. From, and from the sixth floor, they'll yell down, little neg, little neg, what's going on, baby boy? Nothing, big G, yeah. just doing our thing. <laughs> what's going on with that? And they're having a conversation at 2.30 in the morning, like you're not even in the room. And it's fucking magnifying in your little cell. It even yeah. magnifies more. I remember when I got sentenced, and I can't. My heart goes out to you because you got sentenced in, in fucking Texas. That means that shit was hot. Super hot. Super hot. And there ain't you, no. You have to work they have in AC the in jails? Fuck AC. What AC? You get a little fan for twenty five dollars. Your family got to put together ten dollars, <laughs> and they send you like a twenty two dollar fan. They charge you like eighty dollars. They, yeah. they jack the price up. The price it's like a nine ninety five fan. They charge you twenty four ninety five, and you have to buy it directly from the prison. They have a black and white little TV, you know, forty nine ninety five with the antenna with three channels. You got a fucking. Uh, you you pick up the uh, slack, but. Did you guys realize you were having a good time when you were there, or is it like after being out ten years? Because like, if I, like if I was brought to jail today, I would have a meltdown. Like if someone told me I was going to jail, I would have a meltdown. It's segments of good times. It's not like a, a total country club. But then you'll look back and you'll think, oh man, that was a that was all right day that I had today. I had all right day. You know, I had a water fight in in prison with the other with another pod. We was going to necessity <laughs> and. I don't know what happened. One guy threw some water, and then it was like, oh, that's what you're doing? So everybody got bags of water and buckets and all type of stuff. So when they would come back in the same pod, we would throw water at them. They would throw water at us, and the officers couldn't do anything about it because they had to let us out to go get clothes. So it was like, that was a time, and then we played flag football one time. And you know, then there were some things that you, that you bond with a couple of people. And then you have, you say, okay, that was a good time. Like, I remember my guy got caught masturbating, and, and that was <laughs> that was hilarious because the lady came in. I, we saw him run up to his cell, but we didn't know what he was going for. And then all of a sudden, she's doing the count, and she's all out, hey, put that up. And we just, we dying. It's like, because we know what he was doing. He was like, and so, we, you know, we joke about that for an hour. That, you know, some time passed. They don't let you masturbate in prison? Not on the female officers. You can't do it where they can see you. But it it was like he had on a he had on some shades and it's like his prison jacket with nothing else on but his boots. And he was, <laughs> so he was like, ah, it was hysterical. When I was arrested in Seattle, I was in there for a month. And at the time, I was dating a fucking dirty whore. I mean, I couldn't even <laughs> think of being away from a, you know, those dirty whores that you rip their pants off and fuck them, and yeah. you fuck them with a yeast infection. You don't give a fuck, Jack. You just tear that ass up. And I went to prison. And I was because I was fucking her every day. So here I am, locked up. And I would go in the shower, take an hour shower, jerk off in there, shave, come back, go under the blankets, bang one out in there. And I had this little picture of Pamela Anderson. And all it was like from her waist down, like they had cut off her arms. Somebody had jerked off on her arms and like a mid torso. I had like this arm here and this side and her little pussy, which was beat to death and people looking at it. And I was just jerking off, looking at her like her feet. And I would put the blanket over my head and just jerk off <laughs> under the blanket like a savage. And one day yeah. somebody said, Joey, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And yeah. I, I thought I was getting away with it. And your yeah. demented, perverted mind, you really think they're not watching you or that people don't see your hand moving up and down. But you're banging one out. But wouldn't it be bad if like they didn't let anybody do that? Like guys, no, they're not. It's not that it's banned. They want you to do it on a, on your own time, like in your own. But I've seen that space. before in like some like prison shows. Like some places just don't let you do it at all. Yeah, and like nah, I feel I like I feel like with like pe- people be little. You could jerk off next to Paula when she's sleeping, and she wouldn't know. You think so? Fuck! I, I used to do it all the time. After they pass out, you still want to shoot a load, but they're passed out. Yeah. And you just do a cappuccino in your hand because your whole body don't move, <laughs> just your wrist and your little hand moves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you gotta be prison you gotta, savvy. Yeah, you gotta that's be pri- prison savvy. Like prison savvy. Stuff, I've never right? jerked off next to anybody. That's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked up, Joey. Uh, Fuck yeah! You gotta jerk off next to yeah. mama one time. <laughs> be, uh, you gotta be real. You know, you, you gotta get all this. It's just a. Just a little hand. I had a buddy once who told me that he used to have to masturbate in the bathroom. And it was just when smartphones came out. He's like, I go and I do it in the bathroom from my phone. I do it into the toilet. I'm like, that sounds terrible having to do that. Like, Where do you do it? I, well, when she's there, I don't. But then when she's, doesn't, when she's not in my house, I, I don't do have to. You the living room out in the open with the shades open? No, I do it in my bedroom. <laughs> okay. But, well, that, but she doesn't the live there. Like, like candles, candles and shit? <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, <laughs> if, if the mood strikes, I could. <laughs> Put on a little Marvin game. <laughs> you know, it's fun, but I want you to describe for them the first 30 days after you get sentenced because it's not that it's not fun. It's that you're at different places, but you have all the doubts in your head. Once you get settled, it becomes something else. But if I see him on Tuesday and he says to me, baby boy, say a prayer for me. I'm going to get sentenced on Thursday. I got this. I got this. And all someone like, oh, dog, I'll see you Saturday. We're going to do that thing, right? Yeah, I see you. Said, Don't worry. God's going to keep you out. When he goes in on Thursday to get sentenced, that's it. Sometimes if you got a good attorney that can keep you out for six hours while you get your shit together. But nine out of ten, once he sentences you, that's it. Gone. So you've got all this stuff left. And then when you go in there, now you have all this doubt. I mean, this poor guy was 19 years old. I was 25. In the back of your mind, what are you thinking? A lot of doubt. A lot of doubt. You, you, you think that you're tough enough. You hope that you're tough enough. But you have to rely on things that people taught you or people said to you that were in the county with you that had been down before. And I relied on my, a lot. Everything that my uncle told me, my Uncle Alfred and my Uncle Mac, everything they told me, I did. And it was like... It went like clockwork. It went just like they said. It's like, yo, when you get in there, don't go straight to your cell. Go in your cell, put your stuff down, clo- come back out, close the door <clears throat> to your cell, and stay in the day room. Because if you don't do that, people are going to think you're not tough. They're going to think they can take advantage of you. So had this whole mentality of, yo, I do whatever to defend myself. You know, and you, he said you got to get away from what you think is civilized in the world because that's what we call it the world you know once you you inside everything else is the world this is your your new place is being inside this cell being inside this block inside this prison and whatever you think is savage it's probably the norm here you know like now i remember getting in a fight and and i couldn't leave it like that i knocked the dude out and then i filled the, the mop bucket up and I went up a flight of steps and I dropped the mop bucket down on him. You know, like a savage animal. And I, my shirt is off. And I'm telling the officer, y'all come in here. It's, it's about, I'm about that too. And I really wasn't about that. 
them officers because when they came in, they came in different. It's like eight of them, and they beat you up real bad. <laughs> but it's like the mentality was for everybody else to let it be known. If you cross me, this is why I'm going with it. You know, so it's hard to it's hard to even look at a fight as a fight in there. I'm trying to get you as close to death as I can get you, you know, without killing you to catch a free world case, you know. But if I could get you close to death for you to think about it and your friends to think about it and your comrades and whoever else with you, because there's some other people that are trying to, oh, he from my neighborhood, so I want to defend him. But you don't even know this guy. You don't know what he did or whatever. But I got to stop that too. You know, it's, it's, not just a, it's not just about this person in front of you. Like, I remember this guy, man, he he allowed this dude to do something to him. And I said, hey, man, that's going to be bad if you don't respond to that. And dude's like, nah, I think this, it'll be okay. Then the next time I see him, he's sitting next to the pisser in the day room. Sitting ne- right next to the pisser in the day room. And people coming, peeing while he's sitting there. He has no respect. He's reduced to Nothing. Because you allow somebody to get away with something in there. And I can't let you get away with an inch. Not an inch. Not even nothing. Like if you. It's like you're a savage. Because you have to maintain. Hey man if you cross me. It's something bad going to happen to you. And I'm talking about now. Like ASAP. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen right now. How long did it take you to get into that mentality? Probably two weeks. Two weeks because I was in, I was sentenced and I was getting ready to go to the um to the prison. I was in the county, and this this spot called Ten B Three. And everybody, Ten B Three was like a place that you heard about in the streets. You in the streets, you hustling. And people were like, yeah, I was on the tenth floor. You know, I was in Ten B Three, Ten A Two. These are all corner tanks. So it's like you come in the corner tank. It's like this room having another part around the corner that the officers can't see. That you're in So you're in more danger In a corner tank So I remember being in process And I'm thinking Okay I'm They, they already said I'm going to the 10th floor And I'm just sitting there like Just don't let it be A corner tank Just don't let it be A corner tank And the man gets right to me And says 10B3 I was like Oh lord have mercy So I get to 10B3 And I'm sitting in the, Like the little Vestival area And I'm holding a sandwich They give you a sandwich Like a dot of peanut butter In the middle Because you're coming From processing and I'm sitting there and some dudes come up to the bars and like, yeah, that's him right there. And I'm like, yo, what part of the game is this? Dude's like, yo, that's him. That's the one who slapped my sister. I'm like, I don't even know his sister. I've never even slapped a woman. And then I went back to what my Uncle Alfred said. People going to try to get pumped up to see where you at. You respond to that with savage force. And I was like, then I, my mind clicked in. Yeah, I'm the one that slapped your sister. And when I get in there, I'm going to try to murder you. Hopefully you hopefully you already sentenced. And dudes is like, yo, what's wrong with this dude? Like, yo, man, I'm not, I'm too small to allow somebody to think they can do something to me. You know, that's my whole thing. I'm way too small for a person to think that any, you got any type of inch with me. And it was just getting into this. And you in it, and it's like coming from war when you get back in the streets. Now I have to try to go down, take it down a notch. Right, right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Take it down like several notches because I know for six years I'm capable of murdering anybody. 
even though I was a non-violent offender when I came in here, I came in here for drugs. But I'm able to murder anybody in cold blood and just sit there. And just sit there and like, yo, whatever. Because you did something to me. Now, when you get on the streets, you have to slowly try to get adapted to disrespect. And I, and I wasn't accustomed to that. And now you don't get... If somebody disrespects you, it's, it's, it's intentional. You know, it's intentional to try to see where you are. And, and I went through that process maybe a couple of times <clears throat> because I went to different prisons. You know, I was on Bill Clemens. I was on Darrington Unit. And I remember that when they sent me to Torres, I was 21. I was considered an older guy. I was considered a vet. So they was like, well, we need some vets to kind of calm down these youngsters and give them the way. So they sent me and some other vets there. And I remember this dude came up to the processing fence. He was like, yo, yo, um, little man, when you come out here, we're going to have some words. And I just looked at him. Never said a word to him. Just looked at him. Because I knew when I got on the other side of this fence, I was going to seek him out. No matter where they put me on this prison, I was going to seek him out and have a conversation with him. Like, yo, and I did. And I told him, hey, if you ever speak out of turn to me again, you won't make it home to see your people. And I said, that's the end of, this is the end of our conversation. And I left. And we never had words, we never had words again. And I'm like, yo, because I'm telling you, I'll paralyze you. And, it's, and it's, it was an easy thing for me. I'll take off both pair of my socks, put a can good in my socks, and I'll just hit you in the head. Hit you right on the top of your head several times. Or I take take the top of a, a tuna fish can and I bend it and I shape it and I bend it and then I come stab you in your throat with it, with no with no problem because I feel that's what you're gonna do to me. So, prison is a even though you have fun once you respect it, once you settle in, but it's a it's a process where people think that they can haze you and you have to stop that hazing ASAP or you're going to be somebody's stepping stool so to speak no you become a lot of people's stepping stools you know, people that's take, just one they'll just take it from you people take stuff out your hand take stuff from you I, man I used to watch it and it used to irritate me and I talked to them dudes hey how can you let somebody let, let me give you a tip do you have a hot pot they was like yeah take that hot pot Boils you some bippy. It was like this stuff like Comet, but it was like Comet and bleach mix. Get that to hot as you can get it. Then you put something else in there, some candy or something. You put some Jolly Ranchers. You put anything else that you want in there that stick. And you take that hot pot and you throw that stuff in its face. And then you start beating them with the hot pot. And then you tell me how disrespect goes after that. You know, just you got to do something to get people off you, man. And he was like, well, I'm not equipped, you know. Look, let me put you in the mind frame. Somebody's raping your daughter. What you going to do? Just have that in your brain and go from there. And you, and I guarantee you that you won't be disrespected in a minute. I guarantee it. Now, I mean, first of all, your uncle's like fucking Sun Tzu. All right? That motherfucker should write a book for people going in. And he should. Sun Tzu. But a lot of what Ali is saying applies to life. 
in my world, I came from an immigrant mentality. And my mom had stabbed the motherfucker in Cuba who raped her little sister. My mom got out of Cuba. They helped her get out, came to the States, went back to Cuba with an alias. And then had me and my sister and then came back here and then kept the fucking alias. But my mother's thing was no, no, nothing. Like, there's no mercy in this life. Like, as soon as they disrespect you, you go for it. When I was a little kid, I remember my mom used to have hand signals at the park. This meant knock them out, punch them in the face, you know. My mom was old school like that. I was raised like that. Once I got on drugs throughout the years, I mean, don't get me wrong, you don't get the first base around me. I always stop a motherfucker and talk to him. Maybe some people are very confused, especially when you get to cities like this. Yes. People are very confused when they get about four around, when they get around four people. And they don't know that in my world, four people ain't shit because I'll hit you with a fucking bottle. It'll blow up. And those other four motherfuckers will piss their pants. I've seen it a thousand times. Once the shit goes pop, pop, and the motherfucker goes, ah, his little friends will piss their pants. And now you look at them and they melt. They'll give you their fucking wallet. They just give it to you. <laughs> Here, man, we don't know this motherfucker. Fuck him. We hate him, too. It's amazing how quick the tide turns. And I'm from that mentality. That's why people didn't fuck with me at the comedy store for a long time. Some people don't book me because I'm old school. I come do a job. You pay me. That's it. There's That's no, it. you know what I'm saying? I, I don't leave without my fucking check. There's a lot of things. And I, we, Lee and I were talking about this, that, you know, what's Tony say? You have to set your marker and enforce it. And that just goes to street life. That goes. Yeah. And it's really weird. When I got off the coat eight years ago, it changed my career. It changed me as a human being because I always had that fear that I was going to go to prison if I stabbed you in the fucking head and I wouldn't be able to do my cocaine. That little addiction held me back at times. Mm -hmm. Not uh, that I would think about it, but somewhere in my psyche. I remember when I got off coke, like the first three months, I just went and talked to people and straightened them out. And they were like, what are you talking about? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. About eight months ago on Friday night, you made a remark as I was getting in the car. You didn't think I hear, heard it. I just drove away because I know better. You're a piece of shit. You ever say something like that again, I will fucking hit you with a sewing machine. <laughs> and they would look at me, dog, like they didn't know what the fuck I was talking. But my life changed because that's how I was raised. I was raised like that. I didn't have, uh, you know, I went to in diagnostic. It was a little real in diagnostic. The 10 days I was in diagnostic, motherfuckers were getting knocked out. People putting fingers in people's foods. That was a fucking jungle there. That was a jungle. Once I got to where I was going, I had a beef with a biker dude. He just thought he was cute around his friends, but I caught him by the laundry machine one day by himself. The laundry room was next to the HIV ward. The HIV ward was brand new when I got locked up. They didn't know. You know, Rock Hudson declared HIV in 85. I got locked up in 88. They just built these motherfuckers a whole new wing. Brand new microwave ovens, refrigerators, and you weren't allowed in there. You know what? They were human beings. So I would go in there and eat with them, and I'd hide my drugs in there, and I'd hide my bedding slips in there because they never did. The, the, the cops wouldn't even go in there. They were scared to touch anything. Mm -hmm. So everybody would hide shit in there. It was amazing. I sat in there one night, and I caught that little motorcycle motherfucker going into that laundry room with a bucket of clothes. First, the first thing I did to him was I stole the American cheese thing from the kitchen, mm -hmm. and I put a piece of shit in there. 
I took a piece of shit and I put it right in there. I took the shit in the toilet and I took it out and I took the American cheese flag that was in the shit and the, the flag and I stuck it in the, in the shit and I put it in his drawer. The dude was always cute around his little fucking biker dudes. And I, I played with him that way. We were both in the same unit because I worked in the kitchen. I was a stock clerk and he worked in the kitchen. He was a cook or something like that. But when he was around the black dudes in the kitchen, he wouldn't say much. Because deep down inside, he hated black dudes. He hated Spanish people. When he was with his boys with long hair, oh, you should have seen him out there without his jacket on and shit. And I just made him. I go, I'm going to make an example of this motherfucker. This motherfucker has no idea what I'm going to do to him. And after I took the shit, he knew it was me. But he didn't have the balls to come up to me in that kitchen ward. So he was going to get me when he was around his little buddies in the daytime. But I caught him that Sunday night while he was doing laundry, Ali. And I got him by his hair. That's why I don't wear long hair. I don't give a fuck what concert you're going to see or what revolution you want to go. There's a lot of things real motherfuckers don't do. They don't have long hair. They don't put earrings on with a loop. No earrings in your nose because a motherfucker like Ali will rip that fucking earring out of your nose. You know, you think you're cute at Starbucks. You ain't going to be no cute with that hook fucking nose no more. <laughs> All right? They'll rip it right out. And you don't wear fucking flip-flops because I will step on that fucking toe. I'll break that big fucking toe and the bone <laughs> that it's attached to before you even get up off your fucking foot. I will step on that motherfucking brain. And you have no idea what it feels like. You ever stub your toe in the middle of the night? Think of that 300 times when I break the socket with my fucking heel. So you want to keep being cute with your fucking sandals. That's why I don't wear sandals. Yeah. I leave with Adidas, the yep. fucking hard shell. shell. shell I toe. sleep with these motherfuckers. You understand me? Adidas. Shit. <laughs> Old school. Adidas. We're ready for the fucking revolution. You always got to have one step ready for the revolution. Don't trust sandals, man. I don't, I don't no, 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 no. When you run, you fucking one flies off. And now you're like fucking, you know. Even if you get in a fight and one come off, you lost. And Joey Karate, <laughs> listen, that's great. You ever get kicked with a foot, it hurts. You ever get kicked with an Adidas size yeah. 13, that hurts a lot fucking more. It was, uh, you got me all fired up because I remember the mentality I went in there with. And I went in there with that same mentality. Because in my world at that age, I thought I was going to end up there anyway. I thought that was going to be my final stop. So I was waiting for a motherfucker to throw a fastball at me. And when I got in, I teamed up. When I got to my destination, I teamed up with an old mobster that was selling uh, gambling things on Monday Night Football. And he said, I can't get to the blacks and the Latinos. I said, well, I speak Spanish, and I'm half black. I'm Cuban. It's the same shit. And guess what? He went from selling one card on Mondays to three cards. They say he's running the, on the football pool. On the football pool. But I got him running on everything. You know, in prison, yeah. you get motherfuckers gambling. If you don't, if you build it, they'll come. If you build it, they'll it come. come. And, that, and Uncle Joe, that's Uncle Joey's specialty at building bookie operations. You give me a couple days, I'll get some dice in this motherfucker. We'll put it, and then that, listen, and I always try to say, I have always been, uh, I'm racially insensitive. But my heroes, you know, my heroes, Julius Serving and Richard Pryor, straight through, combined. Man, That's, it. On, man. That's it. That's it. Julius Serving in my not world. a lot of people who say. No, 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 no. Julius Irving. No. Dr. J. Jay, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, how, does, how does anybody just skip him over when they say, oh, he's, Jordan was better than him? No, Jordan was more marketed than him. But Julius. How is he better than Julius Irvin, man? Julius Irvin got all his moves. Got Dr. J got all his moves. I mean, Jordan got all his moves from Dr. J. Besides one, he couldn't do. 
He can never do the move when he went behind the rim on the Lakers. He did this on the Lakers. When the Lakers Julius Irving. Yes, yes he did. On the Lakers. All his best moves. Were against the Lakers. The oh, three man. moves. The Duncan Philly. The du- was oh, that was Cooper. on Cooper. That was on Cooper. Yeah. I was at the game getting one point in Philadelphia. I was a I was a college kid snorting coke, robbing jewelry stores. <laughs> and I was down at Glassboro State, and if they scored 125 points to sixes, you got a free hamburger. If they scored 125 points on the way out, you took your ticket stub to a hamburger joint. They gave you a free hamburger. And we drove down there getting a point and a half. I remember driving down going, this ain't right. They got Moses Malone. They got You know that's a friend of mine. Who's that? Moses Malone. That's a good friend of you mine. You send them my love. You tell Moses Malone, when he played for the Houston Rockets in 1978-79, I took a bus from North Bergen, New Jersey. I had to go all the way to New York City and switch at Port Authority, and I went all the way to Piscataway. And I tell people this all the time, and I'm going to get smacked in the mouth for saying this, but I'm going to come out. If Moses Malone had played against Shaq, he would have taken Shaq and thrown him through the fucking rim. Moses Malone, when he played for Houston, check his numbers, Lee. It was 30 points a game and 24 rebounds a game. Listen, first, guys. First play straight out of high school. 24 rebounds a game. Out of high school, they got discovered that five-star basketball camp. He's from Tallahassee. No, that's Daryl Dawkins. It's Daryl Dawkins. That's Daryl Dawkins. Moses Malone. We we just lost a good friend. We was at the funeral together. Moses Malone. Oh, my goodness, man. But Dr. J. Dr. J. No, no, no. That being I still remember coming home and getting the red, white, and blue ball. This is what America doesn't remember. This is the what ABA. basketball. And I put the red, white, and blue ball between my legs I was too fat to have a number 32 jersey, okay? This one, he was number 32. And I, him, Super John Williamson, uh, 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 the big cheeseburger that went up, Billy Pulse. Billy he Pulse. went on to play for San Antonio. And I used to watch Julius Irving. And I could, uh, once Julius Irving, Julius Irving and Richard Pryor got a hold on me at the same time. When I came from Cuba, it was James Brown. But once Julius Irving got, Julius Irving added the class to my life. I would have still been a runaway fucking <laughs> savage like Moses Malone. Because in, in the reality, Moses Malone is just a runaway savage. Savage highlights if you want to watch it. Go. Moses Malone is just a runaway savage. The best is when he played for the Sixers. And they got into a fight with Mark Ivoroni. Oh, man. Oh, shit. And he just grabbed Mark Ivoroni and whispered something in his ear, like, pick up your arm again and I'll break that motherfucker. And Ivoroni's like, I got no beef with nobody. I love Americans. Moses Malone, man. This, this dude, I remember he had a brown Rolls Royce with a, with a tan top. And it's like, it's like this guy. It's like. Look at Julius right there with him. Oh, my God. Look at number six right there with him. Yeah. Man, this oh man, you know he's the he's the originator. Like people who don't even know they wear Air Force Ones. They don't know this who actually wore them. Like with what I know, Kareem brought the shell toes out. You know he played in shell toes, but that's who played in Air Force Ones. Moses Malone. And, oh my God! Yeah, that's Moses. And that's a team right there, those Celtics, Jack. Look at look at look at that team right there. Put that back. Uh, uh, look, it's right there, right in front of you. <laughs> Same motherfuckers. Look at that team. Moses Malone. Look at, the, look at that pot-smoking motherfucker. What's yeah, his chief, name? The Chief. The Chief. Robert Parrish. Robert Parrish. They, caught, they found him with a pound Get of that weight. out of here. Oh, my God. <laughs> look at Moses. Look at Moses. Look at Moses, Oh, my man. God. Oh, my God. But you see that little guy in the back? That was Gus Williams. 
That was Gus Williams. He just coasted by the little wizard. He had a brother. What was his name? Williams had a brother, too. But the Seattle Seahawks had a dude named Downtown Freddie Brown. Downtown Freddie Brown. Oh, shit. Lee, you have no idea. And he was 6'11", Lee. He is? He was 6'11". And nobody knows that he created the dude from Africa. He took him under his wing and taught him all this shit. When he came to Houston. When he came to Houston in the summer. He caught a cab. He caught a cab to Houston. Because he said it was too cold where he was playing. And he came there to play soccer. And and they saw him on the on the soccer field. And he was like, yo, what is he doing out there? What is, what is Elijah one doing out there? And Moses, man, when Moses took him on his wing and, and gave him everything, taught him every move that he had. And, man, Moses Malone, man. And then he's just a – Moses is a good dude, man. Yo, 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 Lee, man. Uh, uh, Tony gone, brother. Uh, yeah, because we had. Where does good, he live? He lives in he Houston. Li- he lives in Houston, man. We um we had a friend named um, Anthony Colbert. You know that we, I think Anthony Colbert merged us together because he was the same. He did the same thing when Mo, that was the first person Moses met when he got to Houston, and he was from Oklahoma. Tony's from Oklahoma, so he just stuck with Mo the whole time and. Took more around him and Tony was they've been friends ever since. He went to his funeral in Oklahoma and he went to his memorial service in, in Houston. And the same thing that um, Anthony Cobra did for me. I when I first started doing comedy, you know, you always need somebody to try to help you. And that was the first person who, you know, got me headshots. If I needed to travel somewhere, he would loan me the money because he knew I would just give it back to him. And he just really helped my career as just a person. Even when I used to get you know, struggling through something, I would go in his office and be going off, and he would just sit there and listen. And then, uh, as soon as he finished, he'd give me a story that has nothing to do with what I just finished talking about. But it, it was like, yeah, you know. Um, and then he told me this story. He said he asked Moses one time, could he play ball with him? And Moses told him no. He said, "Hey, man, we friends. Why you could, you know, why you won't play basketball with me?" He said, "Because all you can do is hurt my game. You know, you can't, you can't do anything for my game." So I won't play you. You know, I only play people who could elevate my game. And then that taught me only be around comics who can elevate your game. Always. You know, on whatever aspect. Just be around some people who have something else to offer than what you have. Don't hang with the other guys. You have to elevate. And, and I took a lot from 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 Tony and, and being there at the funeral and me and Moses was both there. And we was like, Moses was like, yo, man, we're going we gonna to miss him. And these are two different ends of the spectrum, two different years of people who he meant a lot to. You know, and so that's how me and Moses are super connected. And he's just a good person. He got into a fight one time, a, a big argument. Not a, let me not call it a fight, a big argument at a comedy club where I was performing. He came to see me, and him and his lady got into an argument in the front. And I say, yo, who argued at my show? And I look up, it's Moses. He's like... Brother, my bad, brother. He's like, man. <laughs> <laughs> Julius Serving. You see crazy. Moses, you say, I met the biggest Cuban fan ever. You. He took a bus three hours, got in trouble, got punished because we didn't get back till two in the morning. The bus stopped in New York and sat there for an hour. Then it took you over the fucking, over the tunnel. But I went to see Moses when he was a Houston Rocket. And when I found out he became a sixer, I knew in my heart. I'm the dog. I could lie to you about a lot of shit. I knew in my heart, I go, they're going to win the championship. It's just too much. That's all they needed. They needed, they got rid of uh, the guy that shot with the one arm. 
George William. McGinnis. Yeah, McGinnis. McGinnis. Uh, they also had, what's his name's father? Joe Jelly Bean Bryant. Jelly Bean what, Shit. What year? This is 82, 83. Yeah, when they won. They, it. Got a, they got Moses in 83, and they immediately won. In fact, they swept. That's how decidedly I was not wrong. I knew that they would fucking just fo fo fo. Yeah. That was the okay. big thing. You want the, the roster? Yeah. JJ Anderson, Maurice Cheeks, Earl Kirsten, Franklin Edwards, Julius Irving, Mark Ivaroni, Clemen Johnson, Reggie Johnson, Bobby Jones, Moses Malone, Mark Mark McNamara, Clint Richardson, Russ Gion, and Andrew Tony. And then, and all they needed was Irvin, Cheeks. And Moses. Andrew Tony could <laughs> shoot the ball in the dark. Uh, you know three that? Point shooter. Andrew Tony could shoot the ball in the fucking dark. You have no idea how big. And then they got it. I mean, they were a great team. I was with the Sixers when they had Doug Collins, when they fought against Fucko down in Florida oh, from Tallahassee. Not Moses. Daryl Daryl Dawkins. Daryl Dawkins. Dawkins and Maurice Lucas fought in the middle of the fucking thing. Chocolate done. I'm in the eighth grade cheering for fuck. There was a dude behind my house, Jimmy DeMarco, Jimmy the something, and he got hit in the head with a brick, and all of a sudden he became a psychic. And you'd, ask <laughs> him, you'd ask him, who's going to win the game tonight? I had like 50 bucks. And I asked him, like, who's going to win the series? I says, mm, the Sixers, four to two. Four games to two. I'm like, fucking, I'm betting. I bet like $200. I was like in the fucking eighth grade. I was half retarded. When the fucking Sixers lost, I went over there and I go, Jimmy, what the fuck? The Sixers lost. He goes, my psychic ability was off that day. <laughs> he goes, no, no. He goes, I meant to say the wrong, because Portland beat them four to two. But Julius Irving against the Portland Trailblazers had a slam dunk in the face of Bill Walton. When Julius Irving, when it came to realization, he was not. Do you remember this? When he came to the real, he had two great slam dunks against the Portland Trailblazers. But when Julius Irving came to the realization, put it on, Julius Irving's top ten dunks, he came to the realization that he was going to lose to the Portland Trailblazers. He took the ball three quarters down the court, Lee, and he slammed it so hard in Bill Walton's face. I'm talking about in his fucking face that Bill Walton was calling for an offensive fucking foul. It was horrid. All right, right there. And you hear the, the music is tremendous to this. If it is the same one. All right, watch this fucking dunk right here. Okay, this is, this is nothing. All right, this is just a regular one. They're just getting warmed up. This is trying to get the Lakers. Oh, oh shit. Lee, watch this. Learn something. Watch. Look at him, Lee. Look at him. Underneath <laughs> and against a tremendous team. Watch this one, Lee. Here we go. Awa. Uh -huh. Baya. Baya. Look at this guy, Lee. Look at Why you jumping? Why you even bought? Look at this one, Lee. Look oh. at this one, Lee. Again against the Lakers. Boom. Oh, my God. Look at this one, Lee, against the Lakers. Look how high. Oh, bam. That's better than the Jordan one. Watch this one. Boom. That one's a men's a men's one. Now they're going to throw the heaters at you. All right, this is a good one. The Celtics. Oh, oh Jesus. Shit. Oh, Jesus Christ. And that's Cowan, <laughs> that's too. Cowan. That's That ain't no fucking walk in the park. That dude was six foot eight, Cowan, Lee, and he was a center. Oh my God. Man, that look was, at him. Look at oh. this one. Look how long he is. Right, but look at this one, Lee. Here we go, Lee. This is the first one. Oh. Look at this one. 
Walton. Walton. Look at Walton coming in. Uh, watch Walton coming and watch this Lee. Oh, oh my, my. Look at him call for offensive foul. <laughs> See, he's calling for an offensive foul. Look at him against Bobby Gross. Boom! Are you fucking kidding me, Lee? They don't. They, look at this. You're at home at your mother's house. You, your head would fucking explode. And here's the one. Here's the one. Getting the three-point. Oh, getting the point and a half, Lee. Rocking the, the cradle. Oh, rocking the cradle. Rocking the cradle. And he had nobody look to at watch. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, oh, it's still, it's still, it's still amazing. Lee, nothing but class. You understand me? Nothing but fucking class, Julius Irving. Listen, guys, I don't have no reason to lie to nobody. From 80 to 84, the only thing that kept me alive was Julius Irving. I would go to the games. I would yell. I would go to the games and stand under the basket and go, Doc, I got you big. I'll never forget against the Nets. He had to cover Albert King. And they would get given four points. And the fucking Nets beat him at home. I went to see. I used to go to see the Sixers against the Knicks oh. on Christmas. Fucking <laughs> That's how lucky I was. I was, yeah, I was bro, very lucky. You have no idea. So I, for me to watch basketball now, I, I just uh, it, it's like ah, uh, it's it's cool, but when you watch Julius Irvin, when you watch Iceman, you, you know George Irvin was was smooth, smooth, silk, six foot man. seven, six foot eight, really, because they lied. Because San Antonio would score one hundred and fifty points on you. Yeah, they had scored. Seattle would score 150 points on you. I think I'm kidding you, though. I'm talking about these people. Denver would score 150 points Please on you. show America downtown Freddie Brown. Just show America. See, this is a chubby little dude that sat at the end of the bench with a brown bag, drinking a couple beers. And they tell the coach, Coach, listen, listen, I don't know nothing about salary caps. I don't know nothing. I got a little house. I got this little skinny sister. She's banging. I just want to eat and drink and score like maybe 12 points a game. I'll come in, I'll shoot six times. I'll get 12 points on a motherfucker. Right? This guy was tremendous. Look at him, Lee. He had a little body. None of them. But see if they find one of his videos. And he would sit at the end, and they put him in like with two minutes left in the first quarter. He'd always relieve somebody. Like, who? You know, look, Fred. Do you want to see him talking or him playing? Playing. What, I, I want to see talking. What, what do I want to see talking for? Right here. Let him do the talk. Look at him. Look, this is crazy. This is. This guy could fucking destroy you. This is why they were scoring 150 points, Lee. Bam! He was, and look at his body. He was no. This is a little guy. He's a little guy. Oh, shit. There's downtown. Look at him. Shaking him. One hand. Bam! Lee! (laughs) It was automatic when he got the ball. And he would tell the coach, I don't want to do much. I don't don't really want to play defense. I just want to listen. Right here. There you go. Boom. There you go, Lee. Popping him. One-handed. Look at the net, Lee. Look what they did to the fucking net. See, the thing is, that's why he was like, Steph Curry's the best shooter ever. Nah, it was some people that was out there that was silk, man. Watch this guy. Wow, this is craziness, Lee, how this guy played the game. And he wasn't a starter. Jumper? Pop. Look at that. We just saw him throw in three shots in a row, and that's what he would do, and that's it. That's it. That's all they needed him for. Yeah, 10 seconds. Go ahead, give it to him. Look at this, Lee. Look at there he is, Lee. And they weren't even covering him. No, they they they, they knew. They, <laughs> you could put eight guys on him. It don't matter. It don't matter. You got to guard everybody. Else. Look at that one. Look at that one, Lee. It was all Papa's. 
And he didn't start shooting. Remember, they caught the three-pointers at later his career. They knew he would kill that. They're like, we can't give it to a little chubby black dude. Look at him. Look at him. Look at the net. Any side of the fucking floor. <laughs> they don't do that no more. <clears throat> so, all right. So now, when do you get released, my brother? I got released October 21st, 1997. And then I actually got really released 2007, October 21st. Okay, so yeah, October 7th, you go move back with who? Mom, uncle? I actually moved. I went to Houston with $100. had no really place to go, no place to stay. So I went to my mom's house. And I knew I wasn't going to be there for very long. I was like, yo, two weeks tops, I'm out of here. And I went to... Um, a man's apparel store. I had no clothes. So, you know, and I went to this store. It's called it was called Mosa at the time. And this dude named Reggie Ballard was the um was the manager. And he's I went and he's like, yo, we not hiring. So I went the next day. He's like, yo, we not hiring. Then I went Friday. He said, Yo, man, I told you we're not hiring. I'm like, cool. So then I show up Saturday. The place is busy and so the place busy I'm just sitting in there looking you know inconspicuous the dude's like yo um yo can you go to the back because it looked like I was working there can you go to the back and give me some mock necks and I'm like didn't know what a mock neck turtleneck was at the time so I just went to the back and I'm like yo um what are the mock necks and so the dude's like right over there so I took some to the front and then I just ended up working the whole day and then Reggie was like yo we had a great day. You guys were on fire. And he looks at me and say, man, didn't I tell you we wasn't hiring? I'm like, yeah, that's what you said, but I've been here all day, you know, working. So he, he told me to come back Sunday. I was a top salesperson there for like two years. And then it was another place called the Sunglass Hut. I worked in the Mosa and the Sunglass Hut in the same mall, Sharpstown Mall in Houston. And... I started doing stand-up at this place called Just Joking Comedy Cafe in Houston on Richmond. Where will it be out? Yeah, Juan Villarreal and and um, Arnest Jay was the host for a while, and Bruce was the Bruce Bruce was the host for a while, and Tony Scofield and all these guys, Jamario Jamario. I was just going, and it was Apollo night that I that I went, and I had a phobia about earthquake for a long time. Performed with earthquake. Because the first time I ever went up, that's when I learned very, very good lesson about your audience, who you're in front of. So it's college night. It's the it's the night that I'm going. They let all the amateur people up. I have on a suit because I worked at the men's apparel store. But the college kids are just in there with college with college kids wear. I walk on stage and they immediately start booing me because I had on a suit. And as I'm getting booed, earthquake walks in. And I'm like, yo, I just got booed in front of Earthquake. So I waited like two weeks, and I came back with some jeans on and a T-shirt, walk in. I didn't say what I was going to do. I just put my name on the list. And I went up, and a month later, I was the, the host of the Apollo night for like a year and a half. And then they tried to pay me $35 one night with a super-packed house and said, you know, wasn't you know, wasn't no people in here, and then I left, and then I, ever since then, I just always had a room in Houston 
where I could go and work on my craft and whatever. So for a lot of times, the earthquake would walk into place, and I'd be like, I'm not going to do good because earthquake's here. And then finally we start working together. I worked on a couple shows with him. But, yeah, that's why I started, man. But I just, once again, learning from taking something from prison, knowing your audience, knowing where you at, and then adjusting. That was That's the start of me. When you went to your mom's house, was stand-up in your mind or was it on the horizon? It was on the horizon. Like, like me. It was on the horizon. When I walked out of it, I was like, it's going to be a tough sell. I couldn't sell it to myself at that time. I didn't know the basics, and I kept dabbing with it, like just watching movies, you know, watching specials. Well, when you get out of prison, don't you have to get a job? So could don't you need to have something well, more? Well, I than- went right to a halfway house because I got reconsidered to community corrections. They long they elongated my sentence to string me out. Yeah, I got um sent to like a little pre-release unit. And man, I got in trouble there, man. Yeah, I couldn't believe tough. it. It's very tough. Very tough. But I know I knew <clears> why <throat> I got in trouble. And and something oh man, you develop this is what in you know, maybe maybe it was just me, maybe you did as well. I developed a different appreciation for women in prison. It doesn't matter to me what you look like anymore. Cause in prison, it's like this the old, you know, the old female guards used to wear their pants tight as they could possibly get them and you know it's just oh man you as you only around men you start looking at this older woman like her face is all wrinkled she's a guard but something about her body is like yeah, I think this is hot so, <laughs> so, so, so then I'm at a pre-release man I'm about to get out like I know I like it six months and it was this little female guard. She had to be maybe like 60. But she still had this like this cute little bubbly shape. And she was a lot like a she worked in a in a law library. And her pants used to be so super tight. You could see everything. And I couldn't take it. I just wrote her a letter one time. I was like, and I I was locked up in, in prison and never did that but I was like yo man they, I had on free world clothes you couldn't it was too much man I tried to talk to that lady I was like yo man I'm sick and, and still to this day I see older white women cause that's all that really worked because you in these small country towns and it's like you see these women and you like yo man this is crazy why do I develop like I, I wouldn't work at an old folks home I'd probably get in trouble there I don't know what I, <laughs> I don't know what I would do <laughs> like yo I need to bathe your mom again <laughs> I don't know what it would do, man. The first pre-release I went to was possibly one of the craziest situations I lived in. Like I wasn't there a week already, and I was selling blow. Yeah, I was I was lending money out because I got a job right away. I got a job selling cars I, right away, and I asked for a fucking five hundred dollar fucking to get me going. And then somebody said, "Dog, there's a bunch of people here that you lend them seventy five bucks. They don't." Because you had to pay your rent on Thursday. The system knows how to fuck a motherfucker. You got to pay your rent on Thursday, but 90% of people don't get paid till Friday. So I developed a little gig lending out 75 for 102. I don't even know what the numbers were about. But people lined up, and I was making $25 a head, $27 a head, and they paid me no problem. I went nuts. The chicks were hot in there. The, the guards were hot, but nobody. There was a white, tall, skinny chick that one day came in, and I was weighing coke, and I put it in the ceiling. 
And when I went to get the coat, you know how you put it in like a bindle? Yeah. It opened and all the coat went all over the floor. And she came in, she goes, what's all this stuff? And we're like, it's falling off the ceiling. She goes, you guys got to get a vacuum. I'm going to write you up. Write us up for fucking. She thought we didn't. She thought it was spackle from the roof. It was like a roof like this, like a ceiling. Yeah. It was really coke rocks and shit that fell out of a bed. She would have bent over and tasted one of those things. Then we would have fucked her. Yeah. She would have. <laughs> <laughs> but no, dog. I went into the hallway. I started slaying a little coke, and there was a little white chick named Patrice from Michigan, real cute and shit. And she always had a boyfriend who was locked up. Him and her got locked up together type deal. But we we talk, you know, we get meals and talk and shit. And that pre-release, you paid $50 a day for groceries, and they gave you a bag of TV dinners, burritos, frozen orange juice. They gave you just the, the worst food in the fucking world, mozzarella sticks, white bread that was old and shit, cold cuts and a fucking thing. So I started bringing in my own food, but they would search you. If you had more than 40 bucks, you go to jail. Yep. You had to hide your money outside or had to hide it in the car because they know that you're planning something. Why you got more than 40 cash? They want to know your bank accounts. It was crazy, Lee. It was fucking crazy. And I started selling a little coke in there. I found, you know, and all of a sudden I get there one night and when I go to sign in, there's a note that people could leave your notes. And there was a note from Patrice. Oh. And she goes, come to my room. So I went to her room, I knocked. What time you got to get out of here, 3.30? No, I was just making sure. That oh, they, right. they yeah, 3.30, we'll get you out of here. And I knocked on her room, and all of a sudden she opened the door with not a bikini on, but with a see-through thing that was naked underneath. And right at the doorway, I just popped a Cuban egg roll out. She dropped, I squeezed her titties oh. while she gave me a little sucky-sucky. And that was it. I moved. And that's when it really went off and popping in there. Because that's when I realized the lady Invix were fucking the, the, the Invix. The first floor had the women. The women were up upstairs. They'd kill those bitches upstairs. The women were on the first floor, and the men were on the second and third floor. Lee. So if anything had happened with a woman, they'd catch you. But there was a TV room, and the woman, and that's how you got hand jobs from the chick. And then you could both sign out to 7-Eleven and make out with it and suck at titties. It was fucking craziness, man. Man, your halfway house was way better than mine. We was, we, we was in a pre-release, so they had still had all these dudes. <clears throat> and you could have free world clothes, but you couldn't have money. They would make you put only money on your books. And but the female officers there, they worked there. They knew you was getting out. They knew you, hey, six months tops. This person's on the street. I watched this lady come pick a dude up. She quit and picked the dude up at the at the gate. And man, go well, ahead. Well, what happened with the the two people who escaped in Pennsylvania or whatever that was? Like, did you guys ever hear about that? Like, guards smuggling stuff in, even if it's not a woman? Or Well, on the inside, when you're in that level, you're always going to find one motherfucker that's getting something from a guard. Listen, oh, every, those I, motherfuckers I, make a certain amount of money. If you got paper, if you're locked up and you got paper, I tell a story, man. One of my best friends locked up was a, a crip. I'm not associated with gangs. He was just a crip. You know what? He loved me and I love him. But what I loved about him was on Sunday nights, he had seven visits. He had seven women, dog. Ali, he had seven women on the outside. He had them all in cars. They all had his kids. They all got a stipend because homie was fucking banked up at 25. We were both the same age. But on Sunday nights, we'd put our foods together for the week. And he had all his peeps and the nutter butters. And me and him would put on the, the album at the time. See, because every time period, like uh, the album 
at the time when I was locked up, the big, big album for white people was Guns N' Roses, Appetite right. for Destruction. But for black people, it was Bobby Brown, Don't Be Cruel. Don't Be Cruel. So Bobby every Brown. time Bobby Brown, Don't Be Cruel came on. So on Tuesday nights was Domino Gambling Night for the brothers in the laundromat. And they'd just be playing dominoes. But once the beginning of Don't Be Cruel came on, and they'd start a little snapping, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Lee. I still... And they'd smuggle shit in there. Like the, the white dude that I worked with, Ron, would take the... A, a pot and put cheese in it, government cheese with an iron, what you take from an iron, he'd melt that motherfucker and he'd throw jalapenos in that wow. bitch and onions. So y'all doing a spread. This motherfucker wasn't fuck. Ron would cater to Tuesday night gambling night and he made nachos for them. He would make fucking uh, some type of burrito. It's, a, it's the soup spread. It's cold spread and hot spreads. Oh, I'm sitting there. Look, you... you I've been listening to you for the last two seconds, but I really haven't been because you said Nutty Buddies. Nutty Butters. Man, let me tell you Joey something. Joey still eats them. Dog, they're I great. fuck. They're the best thing Yo, in the world. I thank Torrey Piles. Chocolate ball with the, oh, with the, oh, listen to me. Dog, people go we crazy. We had a sandwich that we used to make with these. <laughs> so you take the Nutty Butters and you take a honey bun. And you put uh, peanut butter on both sides. Jesus and Christ! You stack the nutty buddies on both sides. Do you understand how serious this oh is? God. Oh my God! I'm becoming diabetic. It's it's like I don't. I, I really you don't have no idea. Lee. I really don't like going back there. But this will take me to a whole another amazing. place. You you don't understand you don't how understand good this how is. How good this is, Lee. And you got to lay the flat part of nutty buddy on on lay the flat part of nutty buddy. On the peanut butter with wait with, is it is it two is it like a sandwich and sticky buns or is it one sticky bun one sticky bun one sticky bun one sticky okay. bun on peanut butter on both you got to make it right you got to put you, you got <laughs> listen you got to put the nutty buddy down then you got to spread the peanut butter on your on your uh, honey bun flip right. that down and then put peanut butter on the other side and then put two more nutty butters on the side and then if you got friends you cut it up for your friends but you want it by yourself oh my. Goodness, I'm losing it right now because that was like the that's huge, Lee. That's why I tell you, Lee, that simplicity sometimes when you've got, been locked up, it's the simple pleasures like that that makes you go back home. Were you guys smoking weed in there? No, 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 no. That's that's no, that's no. a oh hard God, that's, that's a hard thing. No, it's like the no. highest. Oh, we were doing acid because they couldn't oh. test you. Yeah, for they acid. couldn't test for acid. So but I was doing acid. Then they was drinking a lot of hooch. And then I, I had didn't a, like the hooch. I had a goo I had a dude named Berto. He that's all he used to drink was the hooch. He would make it himself, just for himself. And we always knew when he was drunk, just he would bust out of his cell with just his like two pair of boxes on his boots, and he'd just come out. Who want to fight with me? But everybody knew that he was like a boxer. Was so like Berto? Don't nobody want to fight with you, man? No, I was in my cell, and somebody said, "Ding, ding." <laughs> Bro, drunk. He's drunk, man. It's like him and this like, dude named Roger Rabbit was like the dudes. Roger Rabbit had two goals in the front, and it had two R's. And he would he was hilarious, and you would always know when he would get into a fight because he would he would do a public enemy song. He he would you would it was like um what was his his line was I'm in the air, you on the ground, it's me. The <laughs> That's when he. That's when I knew he was getting to a fight. You would hear him. You would be going somewhere, and you would hear, "I'm in the air." You want, and then you know somebody's probably knocked out because in his mind, that's why you on the ground. 
the two head chefs in the kitchen. One was a brother named Graveyard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he graveyard in, Roger Rabbit. Because he what put the you fuck? in the graveyard and shit. And then the other guy was Chicken Hawk. <laughs> his real name was Spencer Antoine. And I loved him like uh, like uh, he, he schooled me in a lot of ways. But there was another guy named Etchy, a, a skinny little brother. The first, like he was the original. Who, who, who replaced who on Friday? In fact, Day Day. In fact, he was the original Chris Tucker, and he used to go, Cuba, watch this. And he'd come into a room, take his little thing, and go, freeze, everybody down. And he, his voice, it was like he was, and he goes, that's what I did for years. I was the voice yeah. man. People paid me, made me a partner just to be the voice man and say freeze. And people would actually go under. And those are the people that made your time easier. I had this white dude that wasn't yoked up. I had a couple tats. But all the other white dudes I would see that would stay clear of this dude. This dude was no joke from Philadelphia. His name was John Clark. And on the he would get, see, that's why I took the stock clerk job because my visitations were Monday and Tuesday. So I was in that room alone. I could eat some ass. I could finger you. She could bring Chinese food. If you get your visitations on Saturdays and Sundays, you don't get that. You're in a fucking table with kids crying next to you and people changing diapers. It's horrible. Horrible. John Clark used to get his visit on Monday so the chick could make out with him and give him speed. And he would swallow the speed. And by Wednesday, sometimes he'd just keep it in his chin and take the big envelope down. But Mondays, uh. he'd get his thing and he'd come to my fucking room and we'd chop it up. And he'd give me a line of meth. And we'd go to the high school to play basketball. They shipped us over on a bus. I thought my heart was going to fucking blow up. And I'd go back to my room and say, I can't believe I'm in prison. And I'm still living like I was living on the outside. Every day's an adventure. Like, I was the stock clerk, so I had steroids and drugs in the stock room. That was off the thing. They never brought the dogs up there. Yeah, I was fine safety clerk. Okay, I was yeah. a fine safety clerk. You in the front, you in the front office. And you, you had access to probably everything. I used to sit in a little room, and I used to try to make out with this teacher all the time. You up front, and the teachers were, like, right over there. But you spend so much time with them because you by yourself, basically. Um, Scarborough. The guy, the officer that was supposed to be over me, the fire and safety man, his name was Scarborough, but he was never there. He was like, I was like on my own. And I, going back to what he said about being, having fun, I just, a story just came in my head. A guy named Wynn, he was from Vegas, man. He was a real big dude. Um, he was Italian and black, real big dude. We said, man, you, cause you know, a lot of times you can't get to sleep, and you just be sitting there. And I would hear this dude just hop out of nowhere, yo, when? And he was like, what's up, man? Man, we can't sleep, man. And we was like, all right. And this is, I never even heard these songs before. I thought they was him, and then he would tell me, nah, that's the Walls album. He was just out of nowhere, hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody in there? And I knew the whole song from him. Like, I never heard the original song. He would sing the whole Walls album. Whatever, uh, Dark Side of the Moon or whatever it was. The Wall, the Wall. Yeah. The whole thing. For, it was two, it was four album sides. It, it was like he knew all the songs. By, like, song number seven, I'm knocked out. But that's when, it's like, and when <laughs> was so hilarious. He was a big dude. They used to, they, you know, you could, you could, lift and then it was a dude named brown 
which was a huge black dude that came off a block up. And Brown used to, he used to be in solitary, but he used to rattle his door so hard that you could hear it. If you was in, in G-pop, you could hear it. And they were like, yo, that's Brown. Brown acting up again because they would, wouldn't give him something. This is the first person I ever seen. You, you know they had this thing called Jack Mac. It's like mackerel in a can. He was the first person I ever seen open the can, drink the juice, and just take it out the can and put it on two pieces of bread and just eat it with the bones, the skin, everything. He was an animal. We're watching the S. I, I know it was the um, NAACP Awards. Never forget it. Tank full of people watching the NAACP Awards. When and Brown walks in and cuts the TV off right in the middle and say, yo, y'all about to be the judges of this bodybuilding contest. And I said, what? He said, Lee, don't play. I'll choke you today. I'm not playing with you. You the judge. You the master of ceremonies. And I'm like, this is stupid, man. And two huge dudes are on the top of the table with just their underwear on. And I'm like, the whole audience, the rest of the tank is doing this. And I'm doing like this. Back. Lax. It's like, like, I got to tell them which position to go in. And it's hilarious once I think back on it. But it's like he held up. They held the whole room hostage for us to watch them bodybuild. And we just sitting there like, and I said this. Brown got so mad at me. I said, hey. Wynn's back is bigger than yours. You crazy. You crazy. I got the biggest back on this unit. <laughs> I'm like, this is hilarious. I say, when Brown's legs are bigger than yours. He's like, yo, man. So I'm watching two dudes walk back out, and they went right back to the rec yard, right back to working out. I'm like, this is insane. But that was another good thing. And day. you live on certain protein. There's guys in there that bodybuild, but the the weirdest thing here is the correlation that you went to prison to, for doing something bad, and you really got something good out of it. You never went, you never recidivism. There was no rape. There was no rape with me. That I got arrested against Seattle for an assault and shit like that, but I didn't get arrested for kidnapping or taking trying to take drug dealers down anymore. I mean, uh, what are the fucking chances, bro? What are the chances just staying out of jail? Never mind. Talking to you right now has helped me a lot because sometimes, uh, just when I walked in here thinking I saw you and I'm sitting here, I'm like, this guy had the same situation I had, two different parts of the world, that anything could have happened because once you go in, they got you. Yeah. You and I both know they fucking got you, man. That's the scary I think That's the scary part. What do you, what you mean by that? You're there, and you, you're not going anywhere, and you at the mercy of somebody else's and, and a lot of these people are friends or family members the officers that work at these prisons with you and you this is when you talk about nerves this was the only thing that was scary to me in prison realistically that one it's not promised that I get out of here and that somebody could kill me in here and my family not know cause I'm so far away from my family and I'm talking about an officer you know yeah and they can make up any story any he had a story shoot, he, he whatever he, just for protecting yourself just for saying fuck you I'm not doing it he might hit you with a stick you might hit him back with a stick another officer comes in shoots you in the fucking head 
and there you go for something you didn't really do. You were just sticking up for yourself. Yeah, and that's the thing that gets to you. That that one that one moment that you think, man, somebody could kill me in here. The officer, the administration could kill me. And what would be the story? You know, what 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 could happen? When would my family find out? When when they write. Or, and I don't return a letter when they come to visit and they say, well, I'm not here or they ship me somewhere else. It's thousands of things that could have happened with the administration that didn't by the grace. Because I know it was people that was there with me that went in with me that did not make it out. You know, whether you in a riot, I, man, I, I was in a riot, a lot of riots. And they they left you. They leave you on the ground. For a while, they don't know <clears throat> if you stabbed or what or what's the situation. They just left you on the ground and they processing people in at a time. So, a lot of times, the black guys were the last ones to go in. They would get the white guys first, then the Spanish guys. Then they would bring the black guys in. After you done got tear gassed and and all the rest of this, you don't you don't know what's going on. So it's 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 those moments in there that. You think about, you know, in hindsight, but while you was in there, <clears throat> it comes across like, yo, man, it was a blessing that I made it out of there. And the only other thing that I did that was a good thing that was in there. If you were my age, you was in my age group, like anywhere from 18 to 25, you was in my age group. It was a, it was like a mandate that you had to go to school. If you didn't have any type of GED, no type of diploma, you know, I would come talk to you. I'm like, yo, what's, what's your plan when you get out of here? It would be best that you go to school while you here. Well, I don't, I don't want to go to school. And I'm like, nah, this is really not a conversation like you think. It's not that type of conversation. And this kind, of, this is a, this is kind of more of like an order. Well, well, who are you to order me? Well, if you don't go to school, you are, you a C. Because it was broken down, I was considered a what they call a convict, a vet, because even though I was young, because of the unit that I went to, and it was all lifers a lot of times. So I learned from them how to conduct myself in this environment with my what my uncles taught me, and then the environment of being in there with them. When did your uncles teach you that? Was it like growing up? This is the this is the crazy thing. This you know, uncles are are strange beings. Your your, your father would be like, "Yo, you'll never do this. You never do." It. But your uncle sees something different in you all the time, and then he start giving you tidbits of what to do in life. Like my uncle was the first person that ever told me, "Hey, man, if you can't beat them, you pick something up and you and you put it in their head. You put it, you bust them in the head with it." My father was like, yo, you know, you fight. But my mom was, she reinforced what my uncle said. Like, yo, she's 4'11". She, my mom's 4'11". And she, you will never be bullied. That's my mom off the rip. You understand me? You will never be bullied by anybody. You, I could get in a fight. Some kids would jump on me. My mom, we going back down there. And you're going to fight each one of them kids one-on-one -on -one while I'm standing here because they're not going to jump on you. And if anybody does jump on you, I got a, I got my hand in my purse, and you know what that means. So we going mm -hmm. from there. But I used to be embarrassed about 
walk into fights with my sister and my mom. But this is one of the most brutal women you could ever possibly come across. Like, yo, you got it, you got it twisted. You think you're gonna bully my son. My mom walked me into a couple fights. <laughs> she fucking threatened the shit out of me. Let me give some shout outs here and we'll get you the hell out of here. Uh, listen, man, 300 episodes, it's all because of you guys. So I'm giving all you motherfuckers a shout out. I love you guys to death. Thank you for keeping us alive. Paul Lynch, Freddie Correa, Diana Mateo, Delusional Thomas, Dead Squad Nashville, Danny Cheeseburger, Jesse Wright, Gomez and Escondido, Anarchy Edibles, and Raymond Mandy. I love all you motherfuckers. If I didn't mention you, it's because there's too many of you cocksuckers that I love. All right. Sound like a mob lineup. And that's bad. I'm telling you, I got these people here that fucking. <laughs> Sounds like the present names. It sounds like everybody who still runs booking somewhere. Like, yo, like they run horse races. Tony Montana. <laughs> Illusional <laughs> Thomas, Diana Mateo. Now you gotta give these people love, man. They I got I still have more time. They've kept the motherfucking lights on and I got uh, thirty more minutes. I still got more time. Oh no, no, right. I got a pedo real oh, quick. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna do something here, uh, I don't fucking know. I gotta pee real quick though. So Jesus Christ. You know, you try to lose some weight and be healthy, but then you got to pee every 18 minutes. You drink water, you think everything's... <laughs> so where are you going to be, Ellie? Oh, I'm going to be at the um, Brea Improv tonight and then head back on the road. Um, me and Bill Bellamy will be in, um, in at the Arlington Improv. And this is this is a great, a great thing, man. Um, I'm happy to do all these podcasts, especially anything that Ari suggested I do. Well, after you were on his podcast, like listening, just especially when you hear prison, just because it's so foreign to like most people, like oh, you, him and Joy would be good together, but you like you don't want to have it be too close, like too right next to each other. Uh, but I, I don't know how long he's been talking to you for, but uh, ever, ever since the show and he's blown up, it's it's really cool. Yeah, it, it's been a it's been a good thing. Like this this about prison is a lot <laughs> is a lot less intense than me and ours. And and we've been both been there, so it's yeah. like going to a different place of the the fun and the other things that could happen in there. It's like man, the nutty butter thing when he mentioned oh it, I just, it just paused me. Like I I didn't even hear anything else. I just like yo, how I, often would you do that? Man, like as much as you could, it was like it was like it was like Jesus. Christ. That's like the creme. That's like a, a creme brulee. People need to do prison. that and like put pictures up and tag all of us because that sounds delicious. Yo, man, anybody, if you understand the dynamics of this sugar protein rush, it's peanut butter, a cinnamon, any type of cinnamon roll you want, any oh, type no, of honey I, bun. I, I like the honey buns. The though. honey bun. Oh, delicious! It's like it, it just puts you in a moment in time in prison that you know that you. Like like when I know some guys who drank coffee with Kool Aid in it and peppermints, they would call it a pretty and then and all that. But you would, it would be you would be so amped up after you drank one of these. It was like you got this Kool Aid pack, you got like four scoops of coffee, and then a peppermint, and it's like mud, and you just drink that oh and you God. eat and you eating this this creme this this a creme brulee. This is like a creme brulee. In prison, this nut butter with this peanut butter in a in a honey bun, eating that, and you feel like, yo, man, life is okay right now. And then 
somebody gets stabbed and you be like, all right, cool. I'm back to reality. But it, and I like, I never even, like, I don't drink coffee now. Like, I, I despise coffee. But in You don't want to go to Starbucks, go to the bathroom, jerk off. They got you on tape. <laughs> all these Starbucks, these dirty white people got cameras and all these Starbucks. You go into a Starbucks, take a shit. You're on a Go Now TV and somewhere and fucking on a plane. Man. Here's the fucking crazy thing for me that uh, I realized a long time ago. Listen, man, I hate working Sundays. Like, I fucking hate it. When I was a young comic, I did it. But one day I said, I'm not doing it no more. I like Sundays at home. I grew up watching Omaha and Disney and all that shit, and it just means something. You don't have a family, you get one, and you hang out with them on Sundays. And I didn't have visitation on Sunday. Everybody else used to have visitation on Sunday. And that was the first season of either America's Most Wanted or Married with Children. Okay. 87. And me and this kid. And again, he was a fucking crip. He was cripping all the way through that motherfucker. But me and him would sit in his room, or we'd go to the AIDS unit with another brothers, and we'd pull out a chair, and we'd put our feet up, and we'd eat another brothers, and dip it in milk, and I'd have a Coke on the side. Oh. And the pain went away, the, the doubt in your mind, just for that night. Perfect. It was a Sunday night with my friend, and sometimes Anthony Severino would come in from Cleveland and sit with us. And I don't care how long, how old I get to be, I'll never forget those times. You know, you said that story about emceeing a bodybuilding competition. I've said this story a thousand times. I used to, on third, the second and fourth Thursday of the month was film night. And you got to, they'd pass the thing around in the cafeteria, and you had a market by the end of the day of what three films you want. And they put two fucking films on. But in those days, I don't even think it was VHS. It's like beta. It was something crazy. But the machine ate the fucking tape. <laughs> or it did something fucking crazy. And it would bust. And one day, the guys were goofing. Because I would sit in the kitchen while they were serving the food and watch, and I would tell the people that were my friends what and what not to eat. So there was some black people I helped out and some white dudes I'd help out. And I'd go, dun, dun. don't eat the shit on shingles, you know, the corned beef on chip, whatever the yeah. fuck that is. You know, it's beef with cream on fucking bread that's horribly horrid. You know, but there was some stuff that was good. Where I was at, there was a pistachio pudding. Oh, my fucking God, to die for <laughs> I would trade everything. The meatloaf was sensational. The turkey on fucking Thursday, sensational. The, 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 the black dude that made the lasagna on Wednesday, fucking off the chain. You understand me? That you would stab a motherfucker for lasagna, and they would give you like a six-ounce military-style piece. There was certain shit that till today I eat because of prison, especially pistachio anything. Like, I, I ate pistachios when I was locked up, but I never had pistachio pudding like a kid. Once I tasted pistachio fucking pudding, I thought my head was going to blow up. I loved it. Is it, what is it, <laughs> do you have things like this, like, it's certain things about prison, like the respect level of how people respected each other mostly. Like, you really, like, you really wouldn't be disrespected by some some main dude. He's like, yo, you know, it would be, it the meetings, I miss the meetings a lot of times. When something would happen, I miss the whole covert operation of the head of this gang and the head of this gang and my gang and everybody else getting together. And it's only 
the elite cats in this meeting, and we trying to see. And it's a real. This is a real meeting because this is is going to mess up the prison. When you having a discussion, yo, um, so this guy stole this, and we gotta we gotta rectify this, and you talking to all of the Mexicans like, yo, we gonna ride tomorrow if this doesn't happen. We gonna, and you you really making a decision on if this person lives or dies, on how on how this goes. And I'll never forget this guy stole this, this guy's radio, and we made it. We sent down a mandate that. The people that that over that guy, y'all need to go in and y'all need to handle that. And as we stood, the Mexican gang stood to the side as they went and handled it. My crew stood to the side, and he came out of his cell like they were wrestling or something. And the Mexican gang just walked off, and I said, "Wait, we'll handle it." And our guys went up, and then we and then. The, Dude end up having staples put in his head because what you would rather risk a Spanish and black riot over a radio? That's what that's what you guys would rather risk. And then we service the other two guys that this you can't do a fake discipline in prison. There's no fake disciplines. Either you're gonna discipline this party so he'll understand, or you gonna you can cause a whole uproar. And I don't want to get up, and I don't want to be on guard all the time in this place. So we, you know, these meetings and these different things that would be happening in prison that I kind of miss it sometimes, but I miss more of food that I can't, it's not the same. Peanut butter on pancakes is not the same in the free world. It's like I don't even have access to that type of peanut butter or something. I never ate a sardine again. I ate more mustard sardines when I was in prison. <laughs> I ate a lot white of crackers because I was getting protein and trying to build muscle. I would eat the fucking mustard sardines till they came out of my eyeballs. You understand me? Yeah. Once I stepped out there electric, never touched. never touched a fucking sardine again. But when I see them in supermarkets, I stop. And I fucking giggle a little bit. And <laughs> you think about <laughs> just to myself, and I don't tell nobody what I'm giggling about. It's just my little fucking thing. When I see mustard sardines, it was man. We both gained the same insight from it. It was a fucking world that I had exposed to that I always knew I was going to end up there. I always knew. I, I knew when I, I knew when I was 20, breaking into a window. I said, you know what? It's coming. I just don't know when. I'm going to keep myself out of there. I don't want to go in there. Yeah. But it's coming. For how long, it's going to be something else. I was something I was thinking about when uh, I got to move my car at 4 o'clock. Or they'll fucking tow you in front, but that's why I, I'm, I'm all fucked up right now. But we got time. We got 15 more minutes. What was the worst place they put you in that you saw something that... I don't even think I saw a lot of the same thing everywhere, but this spot called Gory, Gory Prison in Huntsville, and also the walls, Gory Unit in Huntsville. Oh man, it was atrocious. They had me locked in a box, literally in a box, man. It it's like a it was a closet, and you had this one little sliver that you could look out, and that was it. No other walls, and it's like yo, man. And I'm coming from, I'd already been locked up for a while. So I'm not accustomed to this, whatever this is. I don't know. I don't like it. And they transfer me to somewhere else. I'm like, yo, man, this ain't where it's at. 
I'd rather have been in solitaire. I mean, just put me in solitary confinement, and I'm and I'm good. But this, I'm not in solitary, but I'm in this box, man. And it just, it just, it when I, if I literally, if I'm driving somewhere in Houston, if I go through Huntsville, I literally shoot the finger at Gory every single time that I pass, going and coming. No matter who I'm in the car with, they were like, "Yo, what's that about?" Don't even worry about it. But that place over there is right off. It's right off the highway in Huntsville, um, Texas. And I like every time, and it it just irritated me to even be in that in that place. It's like it's something, just something about that place that they put me in that box. I just couldn't take it. In my whole journey, that was one place, and there was I thought I was gonna because you go to. Uh, I went to county, and county was overcrowded. So they said they're going to transfer you. Either you're going to go to Missouri, you're going to go to Texas, or you're going to go to different county jails in Colorado, depending on your time. And then they'll put me in a ski resort jail, which is supposed to be a piece of cake. Everybody in there was fucking nuts. And that's the first time the guards are going to Pathmark for you and getting your booze, bottles of booze. They came in that night and said, we're making a 10 o'clock run. Who got cash? Let's do this. Whiskey, $22 a bottle. I mean, they already had prices. This place was crazy. And it was a county jail. Everybody in there was white. I mean, there was maybe like three black people. And everybody was in there for hitting somebody in the head with a ski pole when they were drunk. It was just crazy. But before they took us to the DOC, they took us to this other place. I was in there for three days. And guys, I got to tell you something. I wasn't scared. I was just it really broke me down as a man. Like, it really made me feel for what I had done. Like, if that was it, I was going to have an uncomfortable time. They put me by myself, and it was a basement with a slit. And that was it. And you went out to take a shower. You went out to uh, play ball for an hour. And God forbid you got sweaty. Now you got to fucking lay there for two days with stinky fucking nuts. They had a little bit of toilet paper. You had a little metal toilet. It was colder than fuck at night. It was a metal bed. I didn't know. I I really had doubts. I read three books in two days, and they searched them. They came into my thing four fucking times, and I was like, if this is what it's going to be like, that was my biggest lesson. I didn't like a man kicking my bed, telling me when I had to wake up. I didn't like that disrespect. That's what I think kept me out of there. I had it to a minimum. There was a couple dudes that fucked with me, but they fucked with me to see my reaction. The guards I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And with the guards, I kept it very cool. I kept it very low-key. They saw I was cool. I I stayed away from the drugs. Uh, There was different trailers that had different drugs. If you stayed out of there, you were fucking cool. Hardest time ever. It still bothers me to this day. I was on Bill Clemens' unit, and... Amarillo, Texas A prison guard Named Mitchell I'm coming from necessities And he just wanted to do a random strip search on me In front of everybody And I told Mitchell I said this is not going to be good man And I, my uncle once again Had advised me to buy some white shorts Off a of commissary And always wear them He said you could, they could have all of their stuff but they now have a right to make you take off your own stuff for no reason they can make you shake it out but that's it 
Mitchell trying to strip search me in front of everybody in the day room, like in this in this high traffic area. And I told him, I said, yo, man, you being unfair to me and you doing this for no apparent reason. And it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. I've been here for, at that point, I was there for like five years. And I had never been naked even in the shower because I've always had these shorts on. So to take me out these shorts for no reason, Mitchell, I promise you this is not going to be good. And so they call all these officers around. Even the captain knew. He was like, Yo, what are we doing? What's, what happened? What's, what's the deal? I just suspect him to have contraband. And I'm like, what type of contraband? Man, I don't have anything. So they, they made me drop my shorts. And from that point, I knew I was never going home. I knew it because I knew I was going to kill Mitchell. I knew it. Nothing about him living. I knew it. And... Four months went by, and that's all I thought about was getting him every day. And it happened that the the stars aligned. This guy was going to. I heard that Mitchell was on four building. I heard he was on the gate at four building. I had no clue how I was gonna get to four building because I'm on. I stay on seven building. Had no clue. This guy got in in, in four building. Is is um. Where you where they put you right before closed custody, you just like um or a bunch of bad people go when you get a case in, in there or whatever. I can't remember the name right now. So this guy coming out with this white bucket that's on my that's on my tank, like, yo, man, where you going? Like, yo, they just moved me to four building, man. You know, I gotta I gotta, you know, build my status back up to come back over here. I said, You going to four building? Let me carry your mattress. And I ran to my cell, got my knife, and I came back down, and I'm like, yo. Here we go. Bloom got his mattress. The dude's rolling his bucket, and I'm literally walking with this mattress, and he has no clue what's going to happen. All I'm waiting for Mitchell is to open that door, open that gate. Once we go through, I'm going to stab Mitchell up. I know it, and it's it's uh, the distance is so far from the door, nobody's going to be able to get to him before I kill him. How close were you to getting out? Oh, this, this is ah, uh, maybe a year. Oh, I wasn't even tripping. It, I would I would have never made it to pre-release. A dude named Leslie Davis, his name is Alameen, and Mustafa. I don't know who told them. They just like they came in like, yo, Wally at. He helped old boy move to four building. And they literally got out the building, out of seven building. As soon as I got around the corner, Mitchell's opening the gate. The guy's rolling through with the bucket. And they come around the corner and they yell my name, Ali. And I turn around and Mitchell sees my face and he slams the door, slams the gate closed. And the satisfaction of me looking in his eyes and he knew that he was going to die that day was enough for me. That's enough for me. And I just looked at him. And I just looked at him. And today he walked up to me and said, man, put that mattress down. Let's go. And I just looked at him. And I said, all right, Officer Mitchell, you have a good day. That, and I still thank them for that because they knew once my mind is made up, it's made up. It's, it was nothing. It was, the, it was, I felt the lowest form of disrespect for him to strip me down for no reason. And it's like, 
I felt like you was trying to, you had a fetish or you was getting off to that or something. And it just bothered me. I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate it. My mom, to this day, she was like, I'm glad that that never happened. But Mitchell, the satisfaction in his eyes, man, to this day, it's. Of him knowing. Of it's him knowing that dust. you knew and he fucking knew. Like, once Yo, they look, there's a look, people, where somebody knows you got them. Or you got it's a beautiful fucking look. And I put that on my I put that on all my kids. He had the he knew it. He knew it. Dog, I'm gonna just move the car. Keep this conversation going with Lee. Let me just go move this fucking car so they don't talk. It's right over here. And then we'll go. I'll take you down to the corner there. And you can Uber this motherfucker. <laughs> You're not Ubering to pray, are you? Nah. Nah. Yeah, man, that that was that was one of the 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 points I, and after that I probably chilled out so deep after that it was like it was enough that I think that was the only thing that was that I needed to get off my chest before I left that place and then they moved me to a, a pre-release so I was good after that it's just it's crazy to me I've since I've never been in that situation to be like okay I'm gonna get out in a year yeah this dude was an asshole but I could just let it be but you're like no I have to he has to pay for it. Yeah, it's it's a different mindset. Yeah, because in there, in there, you it's it's no letting somebody make it with that form of disrespect. Right? Have you had any? You talked about it being difficult to transition back, but have you had any like actual instances where you were like, oh, I like you went almost went too far, or you did go too far? Not since I've been not since I've been home, you know. But even when I think back then. I don't think I ever went too far. I think I went right to the edge, and then I pulled back. I think I think the creator really looked out for me, you know. When he he said look out for children and fools, and for a lot of a lot of them years, I was just a straight fool. I was a savage. Then then I got a little bit more grounded. Um, but it, before Mitchell, it, there was no incidents. It was just like I was just a normal person just walking through prison life and it was nothing was that your first arrest yeah that was my first time ever being incarcerated it it only takes one it only takes one (laughs) it's scary as fuck man i i I can is it possible to request solitary i thought about that you um you would have to play crazy or something okay deal who you think you're dealing with some fucking novice it, you had to, you, you had to, you had to play crazy to get just requests out there. They, okay, what that kind of request? I I said, is it possible to request solitary in prison? Because I would be terrified. We got to do is get up and hit somebody in the head with the tray with the food, to, and they'll put you in there for free. You can save, you can save a fucking tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, that was a quick run, Jack. Oh my god. I took the car from the front, cut like three people off. Fuck them. And the tow truck was right down the corner. They don't play. This is how they're making a living here. Four I'm on o'clock. the side. You're in the, in the back. Yeah. Yeah, you're cool. Okay. If you're in the front of the fucking building, four o'clock, they're out there. You hear that peep, peep, peep? That means you're going down, cocksucker. That's Morse code right there. So you got to move Good the call. fucking car. Huh? Good call. Who the fuck you think you're dealing with? Some novice? I know how they fucking bang you here. They don't fuck around in L.A., bro. That's the quickest. That's the quickest way they get you when you first move to this town. 
they start banging you with tickets, really weird tickets. Then you miss one, now your car gets towed. You go do comedy one night, you come out, your car is gone. You go down and you owe $252 for fucking one ticket you didn't pay. I got a ticket in my parking spot for my apartment. I had my landlord write a letter saying this is his parking spot. And I went in and sent it to them and they're like, no, we still want our money. Oh, they don't give a fuck. So, yeah. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a Frenchman's fuck about nothing. Ali, man, I'm happy I got you on. Uh, I've been thinking about uh, just the journey you had. I wish we had three more fucking hours because we could talk to you for three more hours. We get some in and out shipped in. The Uber, that shit in. That's a service. Very interesting. You should be very proud of yourself and your family's proud of you. I mean, uh, you're fucking doing it. You know, this is no dream. You know, uh, that's, I, I wanted to talk to you. That was the most important thing of the conversation. The first two weeks after you get sentenced, how uh, you, your mind goes to a dark place. That's how you become a savage, Lee. Because yeah. you realize you don't have a life. Everything now you start remembering everything somebody told you. Every time a teacher pulled you over and said you ain't gonna make it or you're a fucking idiot, or every time your dad said to you, Hey man, you keep that's when you realize everybody was telling you the truth. Now your mind turns into something else. Your mind turns into a fucking loser. Once your mind believes it, you're gonna fucking believe it. And where the fuck are you? You're in jail. You're in jail. If you were a winner, you're not in fucking jail. So your mind turns on you. And now you have to work your mind out of that. And once you get to your destination, yeah, you start taking classes, you do jumping jacks. But for a couple days there, man, your mind goes to a weird place. Like, you're not going to be saved. So you know what? Now you're looking for a motherfucker to get in your way. You're looking for a motherfucker to get in your way. Because I might as well do 30 fucking years in this shit. That's... that's when they sentenced me to 15 horrible. years, it's I horrible. literally said that I wasn't probably ever coming out. No, home. you're not going to come out. What the fuck for? And, and it was his first arrest, he was saying. Who? Oh, yeah. They ain't fucking around. Wait, are they running a charity out there? Why do you fucking think we're here? You think we're telling this story? Because, and it switches quickly, people. How quick does it come? Quick. One minute you're in county, and it gets worse when you're in county, right? Because yeah. you think you're getting busted for one thing, and then they come back with six more. Six more. more. You're like, yo, that was, I got busted for one Wait thing. What is, yeah. what is this case and that case? Well, that this watch case. you had on was stolen. It was on a murdered dude who got shot in Puerto Rico with a gun from the government. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck are you saying? The, the wallet you had belonged to Kennedy's bodyguard in Dallas and got stolen Man. at the cemetery. You took two steps one way, and now it's evading the rest. They put that on you. You're like, what? It is unbelievable. So your mind goes to this weird place. And trust me, man, most of the people that stay in there for long periods of time stay in there, brother. Your mind is the first person. Your mind is the first thing that goes to prison. Once your mind believes it, that's it. You got to keep saying this is just a temporary thing. Like it was just a temporary thing for me. I'm like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Once I hit that halfway house, I'm getting an envelope. I'm getting the fuck out of here. But in my journey, I knocked the chick up. And that's what held me back. They put me back in the halfway house. I was in there for six more fucking months. I got out. Then I, got a, I was working at a car wash under strict supervision. But I would talk to this dude once a week. I would talk to this dude, dog. Ali once a week coming. Hey, Joe. Hey, what's happening? I forget what his fucking name is now. What's happening? Ah, what do you want? The usual. And I'd ride on his windshield and he'd give me a dollar tip. I'd give him like a free armor roll or something. 
And one day he comes out and he goes, you go to school? And I go, yeah, I'm trying to finish my degree. They won't let me on campus because I got a felony. He goes, you know who I am? I go, no, he goes, I'm the district attorney at Boulder. And we started talking. He goes, what's going on with you? And I told him about the kidnapping and stuff. And he goes, all right, do me a favor. Have your attorney type up a letter and I'll sign it. Done. The DA that convicted me was somewhere else now. He had gone to work for the feds and environmental and the other DA. So he's like, they're not there now. I could just sign this off. What are, what are your plans? I go, I'm going to move to Jersey and go work for these people. He goes, just have, that's how I got out of that whole fucking spiel. I thought I, he cut me down by 18 months. A relationship I made at a car wash with some dude that I spoke to for six months before I ever even asked him what he did. And there was another motherfucker that came in there. That's when I learned the world of undercover cops. See, once I got out of prison was when I got the world of undercover cops. I had a dude that would come in with cars all the time. And then, then they told me, they go, this, what, what these cops do is if you're from Boulder, they don't work in Boulder. They work in Denver. And the Denver cops work Boulder. And they have these cars that they got to maintain. They got to wash. And you'd see them, they pose like regular drug dealers. One day they have a Cadillac, the next day they got a Porsche. What would you think? Joey, how many cars you got? I got like six motherfucking cars. You ain't nothing. You get your $400 a week cop, but that's how they get you, Lee. Amazing. And they, they would talk to me. They'd start talking to me. I told them who I was, what I was involved in. They're like, yeah, we heard of that case. And they're like, we busted the other guy one day. You know how we busted him? We took a plane with him to Miami. This motherfucker took a, a cop with him all the way to Florida and copped in front of the cop. And they nailed him at the fucking airport some guy was doing time with. So it's pretty amazing. The shit you meet. For you people who listen to the podcast, this was Criminal Week. I don't know if you realize that. We had Danny call in on uh, last Thursday, and we were just covering this because a lot of people hit me up. But that's it. Uh, the, the whole Ali thing isn't criminal. It's a fucking success story, and I'm proud to have you here today. Thank oh, man, you. Where I, are you performing I, at the next couple of weeks? Um, I'm at the Brea Improv tonight. Then I'm at the Arlington Improv. And then after that, I'm in San Antonio at the um, LOL River Center. I'm, man, I'm there forever, like almost a What's week. What's your website? Um, AliSadiq.com. Um, A-L-I-S-I-D-D-I-Q. And same as on my Instagram and all the rest of them things. You know, um, man, I thank everybody for, you know, I definitely thank Ari. Thank you. Um, this, this, the, um, this is not happening. It has really yes. boosted my career a lot. You know, and it was, and people want me to tell this story at the at comedy shows, and I'm like, this is a like a, a real story. I, I, that wasn't a bit that I was doing. That's like a real story. He's like, is it true? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. This is the truth, you know. And it's Spanish dudes that I see that I was locked up with. They're like, yo, man, we did have on boots, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I know the signs of things now, so. Man, it's just been a good ride, and you know, hopefully, you know, they bring me back for next season. And you know, all your stories are great on there. Yeah, I think you the you. I think you have to be the most. You've been on every season. It's like since day one. I did the first one. Yeah, I did the first one in the back of the improv. Uh, we were on a plane together, and we were talking about music. And he goes, "Come down and do a story." But when I got down there, I thought of a different story. Sometimes you just there watching somebody like, "Oh shit." I told that story, and that got fucking a bunch of hits. And, and it's weird. People come up to me after the show and say, you didn't tell the story about Pink Floyd, man. Who's going to say that, fuck? That's a one-shot deal. 
Yeah. That you went up there and started flowing, you got in your zone, you start throwing shit out there and it gets clicking. You can never repeat that feeling. So, just so people at home, thank you, little brother. Let me give a shout out to the sponsors and we'll get you the fuck out of here. Lee, how you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. Right? You're good tonight. <laughs> the cookie would have been over fucking killed, correct? The 500 milligram brownie? I mean, it's overkill already, but yeah. The no, no, this is a tremendous little thing. I want to thank all our weed sponsors from my main man. I don't know what those are. Anarchy Edibles. You don't need to know. Anarchy Edibles to uh, Corova sending us a little box. You know, but Anarchy Edibles, those stars of death, still fucking kill motherfuckers. Coast to coast, as usual. Killing motherfuckers. On it. Dot com. Always killing motherfuckers. Whether it's with kettlebells or fucking the ropes of debt. Battle ropes. Or battle ropes or supplements, whatever the fuck you need, on it's right there for you. They're the leader in nootropics. And the one to kick down the door, wave in the 4-4, alpha brain like a motherfucker. You want to be sharp or you want to keep walking around like a fucking half a momo, not remembering shit. Meanwhile, you're 23 and you only snorted paint one time. This is what I'm talking about. Get your mind back. Onit.com. Complete earth-grown nootropics with alpha GPC and AC11. Do I know what that means? I got no fucking idea. I'm not going to blow smoke <laughs> up your ass. But it's got to be something good because it's on it. Go to onit.com and look at the great selections that they have, whether it's the testosterone booster to the tea oil, the coconut oil that you could dip into your coffee or your fish or in your eggs, whatever the fuck you want to do. Uh, Shroom Tech Sport, Shroom Tech Immune, Always a staple. Should always have Shroom Tech Sport in your bag if you're thinking of jumping up and down. And basically, I'm giving you 10% off today. Wednesday, July 15th, I'm giving you 10% off. That's how much I love you. Get your honor career started right now. Go to honor.com, read everything, take a look at what they got, press in the box. Church. And get 10% off. You're the alpha brain. It's not what I told you. You fucking send it back or don't send it back. We give you a money back guarantee. All right. I can't no. wait to eat edibles yeah. with you. What happened, dog? I can't wait to eat edibles with you. Oh, we're gonna li- this one right here. We might close up with this. This is the third hundred podcast. We might have to eat another. <laughs> no, 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 no. What do you mean? No, 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 no. <laughs> like Lee is begging. We might have to eat another Lee's, fucking thing. Lee. Lee's no more eating. Lee, people are at home right now going, Lee, Lee, Lee. Three hundred episode. Lee, eat, episode, eat, Lee. eat. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's leave it to faith. Either we split the quaalude, or we split, or we take a bite out of the brownie. What do you think? Let's split the quaalude. What do you think? And go out and fucking call Paul and tell her you got some poor. What are you trying to Cosby me? <laughs> I'm not gonna Cosby. It's not like I'm gonna tie you up and take pics of you and send it to Israel. It's creepy as fuck. It's a tiny little bottle. No, this will fuck you up. Half of this, we'll see the devil. We'll give you a bicycle with a helmet so you don't get hurt. What, you, what is it going to be, Lee? Do you want him or do you want me? Because <laughs> I want you. You know what I'm saying? The words of Prince here. Anyway, naturebox.com. Joy, what the fuck you got for me, Joy? I tell you what I got. Delicious, nutritious snacks delivered right to your fucking doorstep. And when I tell you delicious, nutritious snacks, I'm talking about cocoa bonds. I'm talking about uh, Hawaiian plantain chips. I'm talking about the, the other plantain, the garlic plantain chips. 
I'm talking about products that are so fucking trim. You can't even believe they're good for you. You don't have to go put change into the fucking office thing no more. You know why? Because you can eat some at night and you can zip them back up and put them in your desk and stop being a fucking savage all your life. But you know what? Don't believe me. Say, Joey, I don't give a fuck about your product. Yes, you do. Because I'm giving it to you for free. I'm going to give you a five-bag sample box on the fucking cuff. That's how I roll, bitches. Two big bags, three little ones delivered right to your house. The only thing you're paying for is shipping, like $1.90. So stop fucking whining. I'm going to send you snacks that are going to rock your world. Go to naturebox.com and pick out five fucking snacks. Register. get They get sent to your house. And you're going to fucking hit me up on Twitter and say, Joey, who's better than you, cocksucker, sending me those snacks for free? Go to naturebox.com and press in. Go to naturebox.com slash Joey. Boom. And there you have it. A fucking free box shipped right to your door. Delicious, nutritious, proportioned. I mean, products that the granola. It's just, listen, I'm too high to break it down for you right now. (laughs) You got to catch me before 12 if you want lists and shit like that. Number two, you know what else I'm going to take care of you with? Meundies.com. Oh, shit. All right. They're also going to take over the Periscope, I think. But listen. I got, I got me on these on right now. I got the leopard ones. You want me to fucking show you? I think I got the black ones with the purple fucking stripe. That's how I'm feeling today. Black with a purple stripe. Are you kidding me or what? Anyway, go to meundies.com right now. Look at the great selection of women and men. <laughs> Shorts, athletics wear, sweatpants. I mean, they got shit, and it's comfortable as fuck. It's light. They got these cut-off sweatpants that you get. I got red ones. They are so fucking comfortable. Do you understand me? And like the underwear, they cup your nutsack, which is big in my world. I'm 52. My nuts are all over the fucking place. I scrambled eggs. So what you do is you get the underwear, and then you put the underwear on first. Then you put the pants on. Listen, you're comfortable as shit. Me on these, and they they pull the sweat away from the nutsack, so your nuts are always fresh. Who's better than you? You want to show up with stinky balls, or you want to show up looking bad to the bone and your balls are all fresh? MeUndies.com. Go there right now and look at the great selection of women and women and men's short shorts, boy shorts, whatever the fuck you're into, little ter- tan tops, sweat hoods. I love you guys. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Go to MeUndies right now and press in. Joey. Boom! 20% off like a motherfucker and free shipping in the United States and Canada, correct? Yes, sir. That's how I'm taking care of you with MeUndies.com. But don't take it from me. Go to MeUndies.com right now and check out the great selection that they have. Go to naturebox.com and get your free sample box. And always, honor.com, the leader in the tropics, trying to fucking get your mind straight just in case you got hit in the head with a safe somewhere along the line. I love you guys. Thank you for being here for 300 episodes. I want to thank my main man, Ali, for coming in here and fucking blessing up with some prison stories. Listen, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Don't be a punk-ass bitch. You make a mistake, you go in. You come out, and you, you can do whatever the fuck you want from scratch. And there'll be people there for you. I don't know who's going to be there for you, but trust me, it all works out. It all works out. It all works out, brother. I'm going Always to be undies. You, you sold me on this underwear. Yeah, no, this bad shit right there. <laughs> Lee, shut this motherfucker down till Monday. What? Around the corner. I have to do the ads. You know why. Cubes. Now that the show's over, don't forget to go to naturebox.com and sign up to get your free sampler box 
of great tasting healthy snacks. Forget the vending machine and start snacking smarter with delicious treats like barbecue kettle kernels. Go to naturebox.com slash joey. That's naturebox.com slash joey. Also, go to meundies.com slash joey and use code word joey. <laughs> Sorry, just go to, just go to meundies.com slash joey and you're going to get 20% off your first order with free shipping in the United States and Canada. And go to onit.com and use code word church to get 10% off your first order. Baby, sometimes you slip into 
Well, 